I wasn't feeling well, but I mean, I just had a, a, a tremendous fever. And during that time, then, you know, she didn't have a thermometer to really be able to tell how hot, but she knew that I was just literally burning up. So my dad and, uh, and, and my mother at that time, they got up, they got dressed and they were taking me to the hospital. Well, on my way to the hospital, Sean, I had passed out. In the back seat, my mother was sitting in the back seat with me, as I was told, and I passed out. I lost consciousness, and they told me that once they got me to the hospital, they took my temperature. And at that time, Sean, remember I was five years old. My temperature was one hundred and seven point four. Wow, one hundred and seven point four. I was still unconscious during that time, Sean, but they had told me that the top layer of skin thanks for stopping by the nowhere to go but up podcast i'm the host of the show sean dustin if this is your first time listening welcome if you're returning welcome back it's good to have you with us today if you'd like to support the show there are a few ways that you can do that the most important way is if you have family or friends that would benefit from hearing this show or any of the episodes that are in this show, send them on over. Tell them about the show. I'd love to have them as a listener. Another way is you can subscribe, rate, and review on your favorite podcast platform. And if I'm not currently on that platform, send me an email and I'll try to get added to it. I got merchandise available now, hoodies, t-shirts, mugs, and other items. It's another way that you can help support the show. Uh, the show will get a portion of the proceeds. You can find direct links uh, to iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, YouTube, merchandise, and anywhere else we are online at the bottom of the show notes. Go to the link tree link, and that will take you to all the ways to connect with the show. Last but not least, if you'd like to be a guest on the show and you think you have a story that would uh, somebody out there would benefit from listening to or hearing or you have a bottom that you think somebody would uh, would benefit from hearing and possibly not have to go through what you did uh, by you telling your story, go on over to my link tree, go to the scheduling page uh, tab, choose a time, fill out the guest form, and we can go from there. Today I'm talking to Will Weeks. Will is a gentleman that I had the pleasure of talking to uh, who was diagnosed at a very young age with SJS-10 which is Steven Johnson syndrome. He had level he had a level 3 SJS10 diagnosis which uh most people when they get to a level 3 they they don't survive this. And uh yeah, he's got a, a, a an amazing story of how he had this, how he got through it, and I I've, I've got pictures in the show notes that you can go look at. This is crazy what happened to him and how his own body did this to him. It wasn't, uh, you know, it, it, he looked like he had third degree, fourth degree burns all over, all over his body. And, uh, it was actually his body that, that caused his skin to basically fall off. And, uh, yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty hard to look at, but the pictures are there. Uh, the story is amazing. Hope you enjoy it. There are some, some spots that, you know, when he talks about, you know, some of it, it may be a little bit difficult to listen to. So just to let you know. You know, he paints a pretty graphic picture of uh, what he had gone through and endured. So without further ado, let's get to the show. 
This is the Nowhere to Go But Up podcast, and I'm your host, Sean Dustin. Uh, today we are talking to Will Weeks. He is a blind individual, which I've interviewed a, uh, a guy named Dennis Sumlin. I don't know if you've ran across him in those rooms. Uh, he's also a blind individual as well that has a podcast and okay. is out there doing a bunch of stuff. His, uh, I think it was number 16 uh, on my episode list. So how did you uh, come to want to be on my show today? All right. Well, first of all, I just want to say hi and thank you for actually having me on your show, Sean. Um, I greatly appreciate it. Uh, You know, we had a, a little time to speak off air and I realized that this would be a great fit for me for a few reasons. Number one, um, I love uh, what you were looking for when we had an opportunity to speak and you were speaking to me about your podcast and um, what the relevant focus was of your podcast. And I truly believe that my life story that I have is would be a great fit for what you were looking for. And more importantly, I feel like I have a story to share with the world We live in times where there's just so much going on. You know, people are just um, people are just so full of despair. Uh, There's so many different things that's happening with people on so many different levels. Um, And I think just to give some stories and to share some hope is something that uh, so many people need. And um, I do believe that through the life story that I have, I really do believe it will help to inspire some people and to. Uh, give them the sense that, you know, despite what's going on in their own lives, despite the giants that they're having to deal with in their own lives, you know, you can continue to go the distance. Absolutely. I couldn't agree with you uh, more. Yeah. The, the crazy thing about life is that we tend to, like you said, when we hear other people's stories, sometimes that's what it takes. You know what I mean? It's it's just the one last thing that somebody heard that came from your mouth or your story. That could be the, the straw that either helped to push them forward and continue on and not give up or at least let them know that, Hey, uh, you know, I'm not alone. Absolutely. And I think, uh, now, more than ever in our new uh, technology um, age, man, if we would have had podcasts or people like me uh, talking other than Anthony Robbins, uh, you know, personal development space or any of those other guys that were monetizing their, their uh, whatever it was that they were doing, you didn't really get a whole lot of this unless maybe you went into an AA meeting or an NA meeting or, or something like that, where you could actually hear stories from Very people, true. you know, from people that have hit rock bottom and aren't, and aren't afraid to uh, share it and in, in hopes that it would help somebody. So I think we're in a good, a good time right now. You're right, Sean. And I even add to that, I think in, in yesteryear, if you will, individuals would not have gotten the opportunity to hear stories um, also unless you paid for it. <laughs> you know, you went to go hear somebody at a specific venue that you had to pay for. Um, but now, you know, the it's open to 
everyone who wants to log in, who wants to hear and um, and has an ear to hear, you know, it's right there. So you're right. It's a different world with uh, more opportunities. Absolutely. So tell me about your situation and your life. I, I'm reading here, uh, you're legally blind. You, there were some injustices in the school system as a child, grew up in a very poor county, uh, one of the, the poorest counties in the country, Northampton County, Virginia. Yes. Uh, your story begins at the age of five. You were diagnosed with a very, uh, a syndrome called Stevens Johnson syndrome. Absolutely. SJS 10. SJS 10. Mm -hmm. And uh, you're one of the very few individuals in the country who has lived from a level three of this syndrome. Uh, so yes, explain. Yes. Yes. So, you know, my story begins a long time ago. I mean, I, again, I was at the age of five, um, but even before I hop into that, I think it's important to let folks know that, um, I was born uh, as any other typically developing child was. I had, there were no abnormalities. You know, I had perfect sight. Um, you know, I was just your typical child. And at the age of five is really when I lost my sight. But I'll, I'll lead up to that. Uh, you know, so... One day, pretty much um, as a child, my uh, mom and dad had basically taken me to the hospital because they thought that, just like any other kid, I probably just had a bad cold. Maybe there was the onset of the flu. You know, your symptoms were pretty typical. You know, I just had a severe cough. Uh, you know, I was running the temperature. Uh, you know, nothing that was absolutely abnormal. So basically, they took me to the doctor and... Uh, even at that time, the, the doctors, which was my family practitioner at that time, they didn't really see anything that was uh, would really uh, signify any alarm. Uh, I did have like an onset of chicken pox that was coming on. They did treat me for that. Uh, they had given me penicillin. Uh, and my parents were told, let them go home. You know, hopefully this will get better. Uh, hopefully, you know, the, the symptoms will go away on their own once, uh, you know, his body just basically just starts to recover. You know, it was nothing that was really a significant big deal. And over time, that's exactly what they did. And what began to happen was I began to get worse. And at that time, my family really didn't know what was going on. Again, they really weren't alarmed because, hey, I was a five-year-old and it was more or less like, okay, you know, maybe this is developed into the flu, uh, the second week. So again, they were going off of the words of the doctors. You know, they didn't really think it was anything that was really significant until one night I actually came into my mother's room and I really don't have a lot of recollection of this. But the story has been told to me so many times, Sean. You know, I came into my mom and dad's room and I crawled up on the bed with him. And my mother at that time, you know, had sit up and, hey, it was picking me up because she knew I didn't feel well. So it was one of the things that she just thought I was coming to get into bed with him. But she noticed that I was literally burning up 
And I remember her telling me the story. She said, it was, it, you know, you just felt like a hot piece of coal. And I wasn't feeling well, but I mean, I just had a, a, a tremendous fever. And during that time, then, you know, she didn't have a thermometer to really be able to tell how hot, but she knew that I was just literally burning up. So my dad and, uh, and, and my mother at that time, they got up, they got dressed and they were taking me to the hospital. Well, on my way to the hospital, Sean, I had passed out in the back seat. My mother was sitting in the back seat with me, as I was told, and I had passed out. I lost consciousness. And they told me that once they got me to the hospital, they took my temperature. And at that time, Sean, remember, I was five years old. My temperature was 107.4. Wow. 107.4. I was still unconscious during that time, Sean, but they had told me that the top layer of skin that we had, they said that it was like my skin. It was literally like it was boiling and blistering up. You know, uh, you could see like blisters of like little bags of water just popping out all over. And this was literally all over my body. This wasn't just my arms. It wasn't just my face, my neck, but literally all over. And so, again, they took me to a hospital here. This is like one of our local hospitals here in Northampton County. Um, you know, and of course, they didn't really know specifically what was going on. So they had me transferred to a hospital that's in Norfolk, Virginia, and it's called uh, King's Daughters Hospital. And it's a hospital that, I mean, they're really good. They specialize in working with children and all different types of ailments and all different types of challenges and what have you. So I was I was transported there to King's Daughters, which, by the way, for the record, was about an hour and 15 minutes away. And once I got there, and again, I was still drifting in and out of consciousness, as I was told. Uh, once I got there, they had continued to do tests. They started to do tests. They, you know, were working rigorously trying to figure out what had happened. They knew at that point that we had superseded just the flu or superseded just, you know, just chicken and pox. They knew there was something serious that was going on. It was just a matter of trying to pin this down to figure out what it was. After, you know, many hours of testing, uh, you know, they had reported to my parents that I had Stevens-Johnson syndrome or SJS-10, Stevens-Johnson syndrome, toxic epidermal necrolysis is what the 10 stands for in that. And what that is, uh, it's a severe autoimmune uh, uh, problem, usually triggered by a severe allergic reaction to some sort of medication. In this case, I was sick prior to taking the penicillin, but taking the penicillin actually amped up the effects of this. So I really, taking the penicillin really made it 10 times worse because unbeknown to anyone at the time, I was allergic to penicillin. I was allergic to the wholesaling family, the penicillin, the moxicillin, but no one knew that at the time. So my body was basically, it was like under attack, so to speak. My immune system is kind of like fighting against itself. Once I was there in King's Daughters, I was in, it was immediately admitted. And 
I was admitted to a, a burn trauma unit. Again, 85% at this time of the top layer of skin, Sean, had literally bubbled off. It was bubbling off. And when I say bubbling off, and I can show you pictures of this, I mean, literally, to touch my skin, if you would touch my arm or my leg or anything, when you pulled your hand back, globs of skin was there on their hands. It was literally just coming off. And so I was admitted there, Sean. And during that time, they were, this is when the real fight began. It was just trying to determine, you know, what can we do for this kid? Again, you have to understand that back in the early 80s, um, SJS-10 or Stevens-Johnson syndrome was, I mean, it was something that was known about, but it wasn't a lot of research uh, about the syndrome at that time as it is now. So, um, you know, they, they didn't know a lot about it. And at that time, they didn't even know what triggered it. They had some idea that it was allergic reaction to something, but they didn't really know how it worked. They didn't really know how the body's response to it worked. So it was hard to try to figure out how to treat it, um, you know, like it needed to have been treated. Again, I was in a burn trauma unit because I literally looked like someone who had just came out of a fire. Literally, the skin was just all off of my entire body. And blisters were just everywhere. When I say blisters, if you pick your hand up and look at the palm of your hand, I had blisters the size of the palm of your hand, literally all over my body. Wow. I didn't even know that's possible. Yes. That the body could do that to itself. Yeah, it was literally blisters. Um, and I stayed in the hospital for a year. An entire year. During that time in the hospital, Sean, I went through some of the most painful ordeals that you can truly imagine. And, and I'll give you some, some, some um, examples as I'm moving forward. After they had started to call in specialists. I had doctors literally from all over the country to the bedside of William Weeks trying to figure out what was going on with this kid and what in the world can we do? Because if we can't come up with some plan of action, he's going to die. Okay. When I got to the hospital again, I still had my sight. It wasn't until some weeks later I really began to see some deterioration with my sight. But leading up to that, uh, they had to take care of the immediate issue, which was the skin. You know, as you know, your 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 top layer of skin, your well, your skin is is literally, a, a, if you will, a community all to itself on your body. A lot of people don't realize that. You know, a lot of times we think about just our heart or our lungs or our kidneys as just this independently functioning machines that keep certain things going. But really, people don't understand the importance of your skin. I mean, it is literally uh, a community all to itself. And they had to figure out how to get some coverage there because your skin is what helps to protect you from bacteria, germs, disease. And here I was, this five-year-old kid, 85% of my top layer of skin was gone. So... 
Um, Sean, and these are some, now I do remember some of these times very vaguely in my mind. I do remember, and from time to time, I had flashbacks thinking about what it felt like as they would put artificial skin on me. Every day or so, they had to come in and put artificial skin all the places of my body where the skin basically was gone. My room, I was inside of a huge bubble, literally, like a humongous bubble is, is what I was inside of because I needed that extra layer of protection on the outside of me to protect me from everything else going on in the hospital. Why? Because my body, first of all, it was severely compromised, but I had a top layer of skin that was gone. I, and I literally looked like something that had been skinned, Sean, and that is absolutely no exaggeration. So if you can imagine a deer or something that you've skinned and you look at it, you'll see the flesh, pinkish flesh. You, this is exactly what it looked like for me. And I'd love to be able to show you some pictures, and I will. I'll actually send you some pictures so that you can see what I was talking about and what I looked like during that time. And as they would put the artificial skin on, the next day, Sean, the skin, would, the, my, the artificial skin was actually being suctioned down in my flesh. Okay. Every day they had to remove these old patches of skin and replace them with new artificial patches. To do that, they had to literally cut this artificial skin off of my body. And let me tell you what that looks like. And, And again, I have recollection of this. I can remember certain parts of this. I had a mother, and this is what she would do. It was such a painful procedure. My mom never left the room. She would not go out. They could not put me to sleep, Sean. And they really could not numb me. Because at that time, they weren't sure what other class of drugs I could have possibly had some reaction to. Oh, so you didn't get nothing. Well, they couldn't. Yeah. Oh, man. Because they really didn't know. You know, you might have a different class of drugs, certain classes of drugs that you could use for different things. Again, I was five years old. I had a severe allergic reaction to this medication. They had no idea if they were to administer something else or try to give something else, how I was going to react to that. Sean, my mother had to lay over me, her five-year-old son, her five-year-old baby boy. She would lie there in the bed with me while they would kind of lean me back on the bed. I had these arm restraints on me, Sean, and they had to cut these, these pieces of artificial skin off of me, one patch at a time. And as they were cutting, Sean, unfortunately, Sometimes, even as careful as they were, an amazing team of doctors. But guess what? They were cutting pieces of flesh from time to time. So my mother died. Uh, oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah. I don't. I don't want to interrupt you too much. So, I mean, they were li- literally cutting away 
some old the the artificial skin and as they were trying mm-hmm. to do that and and getting rid of that they were actually taking pieces of of other skin so was that leaving like divots in your in your uh, epidural epidurum epidural epidural whatever it's called it was actually flesh yeah they weren't just cutting pieces of, of skin see the artificial skin that they were put on over the course of a day or so it was actually suctioning down in my flesh do you understand what i'm saying when they had to cut the old pieces off well, this skin, this artificial skin, you look at it, almost think of it as an adhesive. You ever put an adhesive on something and it sticks? Yeah, yeah. Well, that's the way this was. So look at the artificial layer of skin almost like an adhesive that they were putting over my flesh. This was literally flesh, Sean, that they were putting these artificial chunks of skin on. But to get it off, they had to cut it off. Oh, so how bad was the scarring when all when all this was said and done? When you you know whenever when you came out of Sean, it, Sean. What you can't tell now, thirty five years later. What you see now, thirty five years later, is truly not a reflection of what it was thirty five years prior. Sean, I looked and I I looked like something that came out of some sort of a horror movie. I say that because that is literally what it looked like. And again, I will forward you some pictures so that you can show that and see it. I literally looked, I mean, my whole body, I looked like this severely burned patient with just skin blotchy, pink, some skin brown, some darker shades, Pink. I mean, it was just my entire body just looked like it was just blotched up, like like a calico cat. I, you know, I guess that's a that's a way that you could probably put that. Yeah. I guess that's a way Sean, you could probably put that. Okay. Even my eyes, it left uh, my eyes. The there was corneal scarring that was over my eyes and and cysts that were left and. I will show you this right now. You can see this here. Yeah. Yeah. There. And now and that and that happened all just from from the whatever the your your body yes. temperature raising up to 107 yes. degrees and yes. then this was the yes. the byproduct of it. Yes. Wow, man. Yes. Crazy. All of that is a product of the Stevens Johnson syndrome in general because um, it affects the mucous membranes in, in your body. So it also affects how the mucous membranes are supposed to function, which is why I started having, you know, a lot of problems with being hot or being cold. You know, I would be cold abnormally. Everybody else is burning up. I'm cold. A lot of that had to do with the abnormalities that this disorder caused with my skin. Um I also started, you know, having a lot of problems as time went on with um, issues with my rib cage. With actually, it's the cartilage around my rib cage, um, and that's a. I mean, you know, I'm not trying to go too deeply into all of that because we could spend a, 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 an enormous amount of time even just talking about that piece of it. But there were a lot of complications that uh, SGS10 caused for me. Um, 
you know, from that point. And I want to just drift back here just for one moment before we, we move forward. My mom would lay over me and we would sing, Sean. That's how we got over. My mom, I came from a musically inclined family. So we all sang or we played some sort of instrument. I was a very musical kid. My mother would sit there and sing to me while they were doing this to bring me comfort. My mother died as of uh, in, in 2019, January or February of 2019 is when my mother passed. And I remembered up to that day, just it constantly plays in my mind what she did, the sacrifices she made. She stayed in the hospital with me, Sean, for a year. And here's what's amazing. When they sent me home a year later, even after all those complications, they had sent me home, and I still have the paperwork here. It's, it's really amazing because I kept all of this stuff all these years. They sent me home with about a six-month prognosis. They thought I was going to die. They had done everything that was humanly possible, but they felt that my last days needed to have been spent with my family where they could do some things outpatient. But there's literally nothing else that they really could do. They just felt my body had just sustained too much trauma. Again, this is the same kid you're looking at now, 35 years later, that they thought I had probably sustained some brain damage. And cognitively, as far as my comprehension and understanding, they didn't think I would have the capacity to begin on a first grade level until I was around 13 years old. I had to learn how to walk again, how to talk, how to crawl. The basic things that you see a five and six month old begin to start to do from five, six month old on up. Sean, I had to learn how to do all of that stuff all over again. And so Amazingly enough, though, what's ironic, the place where you would imagine I would get the, the most attention and would begin to heal, I didn't. I began to heal when I came home with family. Isn't that ironic? I'm in the care of some of the best specialists in the country, literally. People who are brilliant in their field and who had studied and, and were really on top of their game to try to figure out what to do. And amazingly enough, the healing process for William Weeks did not begin until I came home with family who took care of me, nourished me, nurtured, okay? Who spoke life into me. Die was not in their vocabulary. It just wasn't in their vocabulary. They didn't speak that over me. Not to say that they were unrealistic about the possibilities, because I think, you know, there's a balance there. You, you've got to be realistic. I mean, you know, we live in this physical body and this physical body is not, you know, is, is, you know, it's, 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 it's not, you know, it's not like we're, we're, we're superhumans or it's like we live in some body that isn't subject to fail. It is. But they truly believe that it was not my time to go. And, um, uh, well, I'm glad you're here but still, you know, 25 years later. You know, Absolutely. Yeah. The thing Absolutely. with the, the thing with the medical, I mean, they've gotten a lot better, but oh, there's no one size fits all to anything, man. It's a matter of will. Uh, you know, there's a lot of things that, that, that come into play when people 
beat the odds. You know what I mean? Because there's a lot of un- unseen forces that are out there that are, are at work in our universe, in our world. Well, you call it God, you call it, you know, whatever it is that you choose to call it for yourself. Mm-hmm. It works and it's watching yeah. and yeah. Um, whatever it is, maybe it's past ancestors, you know, family members that have passed on and, and are still watching us. I don't know. I don't know what it is. I mean, I've almost died a few times myself and, uh, you know, luckily, luckily there was something out there that, that, uh, uh, intervened, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, so what, what, what are you doing now? Um, I mean, I know you went, uh, you, you know, must've been an adjustment having to, uh, learn how to go to school, learn everything, yeah. Uh, you know, as somebody who had been able to have their sight, which, I mean, I guess having had it a little bit is better than never having had it at all, you know, but I mean, especially, but I mean, at a young age like that, there's a lot of things that you don't, you, you, you don't get to see, you know, you won't see. Well, I'll share this with you, Sean. You know, what's amazing is that, um, you know, I was totally blind for a number of years, so probably about 10 years or so, I was totally blind, not legally. I saw nothing and I didn't even have what we call light perception. Okay. And again, this happened while I was in the hospital. So, and as I had alluded to prior, as time went on in the hospital, the, the fever had caused some damage to my retinas and to my cornea, which is why I lost my sight. Okay. Now, um, I, I came out the hospital and yes, I did get to the point where I went back to school. It was a humongous adjustment. And as I shared with you before, you know, I, I, I grew up here in Virginia and in, in, in a very, very poor county, Northampton County, where there was limited resources. It just wasn't a lot. And I'll tell you, back in the early 80s, Sean, I was probably one of the kids in the school that had probably one of the severest disabilities. And unlike uh, IDEA, which is the Individuals with Disabilities Act that came out many years later, and where the understanding about how to work with children with specific needs and, and, and had disabilities, it wasn't there. The understanding wasn't there. And so... I went through a lot coming into this school system and not being able to see, but entitled to an education, just like everybody else. But I was in a school system that A, was poor, and I was in a school system that many people really didn't understand how to help me. The powers that be at that time didn't understand really what to do. I had a mom that just totally went to bet for me. My mother had to quit working because she spent so much time down at public schools, even starting off in elementary school, because she was determined that I was going to be educated like everybody else and didn't care what they were going to have to do. We we're going to find a way that I was going to be educated because just because I had this disability didn't mean that I couldn't learn. And I want to say something else. During that time, there was a real misunderstanding that just because you can't see, that doesn't mean you don't have the ability to comprehend. And yes, 
I had went through a lot and, and there was a general understanding at that time that there may have been some cognitive delays with comprehension, but it really wasn't. Who took the time to really work with me to discover that? That didn't happen, Sean. Okay. I didn't start off with one-on-one, you know, having people to work with me and really try to develop. And I had to do a lot of developing because I'd been through a lot. So there was a lot of things I had to really learn how to do. And it was a huge readjustment for everybody, but especially for me. And um, I, I, again, I, I was in this school system where people were just kind of scratching their heads. You had some that were really doing the best that they could. And I'll be honest with you, some, it was like, you know, Somebody please come get this kid because he's stopping me from being able to teach and move on with the other with the other kids in my classroom because I don't know what to do for him. But I've got 18 other kids in this classroom. I can't hold up the entire classroom for this one kid. You understand what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, that's tough, man. And it went on like that for a long time, Sean. I mean, literally, I'll tell you what's interesting. A lot of the technology, even as it was coming out during that time, I didn't have access to it as a blind student. Sean, everything I learned, I had to learn by listening, sharpening my listening skills. My mother went to the store and bought me an old handheld tape recorder. You know, the, the old handheld tape recorders, not the digital ones, because you didn't have that then, but the ones that took like the little, the little teeny tapes. Yep, I remember those. That's what my mother went to the store and bought for me. And I had to sit in class, Sean, and try to record as much as I could and learn concepts and different things that everybody else had the pleasure of being able to look at and get an audible, uh, an audible introduction to it as well as a visual introduction. And I had to try to learn it all by just listening. And I remember coming home, I would cry so many nights, Sean, you had no idea. And I, you know, I I would cry because I didn't really know what else to do. I would try to talk with the teachers and let them know. I couldn't see what they were putting on the board. They just sat me in a desk and told me, just listen. Literally. They would write stuff up on the board. I didn't know what they were writing. Okay. Whatever I didn't do in class, they sent it home. So if you can imagine throughout the course of a day, Sean, what you're not doing in school, which is where you're supposed to be doing it at, so that you have the educators that the teachers, so that they under, so that you can get an understanding of the concepts and the different things that they're trying to teach you. It was sent home. And my mother and I, Sean, sometimes a lot of nights we were set up all night long. And we're talking about this second, third, fourth grader. And I remember just like it was yesterday, sitting up. And you may, people may say, why would you guys do something like that? Because my mother was determined never to quit and didn't want me to see her give up. Because she felt as though that there was a much bigger picture that she had to be focused on when it came to me. And I remember there were days we I didn't go to we didn't go to bed I didn't go to bed till like three three thirty in the morning, Sean. My mom's sitting up, trying to take the role of the educator to teach me things. Of course, we know home our parents are our first educators, and and we know that. However, we also go to school, 
and you have teachers. That's their role to teach you. My mother had to do that. And, and let me also just give you this very quick brief background because I, I think it's very relevant. You have to understand where I live at, I, I was born into a family of laborers. Okay. My dad was a farmer, worked in the field. Okay. Uh, I, I grew up on a farm. Where and, and my father died of cancer when I was seven. We've always thought that part of it was because of some, a lot of the pesticides he was just around all the time. But he used to work on a farm, used to drive the tractor on the farm. That's how they made their living. My mother, okay, and again, you have to understand, when I came along, Sean, my mother was in her early 50s when I was born. And so you have to understand, I, I had an older mother that had to come out of school herself at sixth grade. Because you know as well as I do, Sean, during those times, those years, everybody's hands was on deck. You, you, know, you, had, to, you had to work. Not that, of course, not that no one didn't care about education then, but hey, this was a matter of survival. Everybody in the house was old enough, you had to work. My mother was out working and taking care of her earlier, her younger siblings, of course. So we're talking about a mother who did this with a sixth grade education, Sean. And her entire life, all she knew was struggle, but she understood triumph. And she understood that putting your hands to the plow and not quitting is the way you get, is, is how you get to where you need to be. And she took that same attitude with me. And I, I gave you that bit of history because I think it's important to know that this is what, I, I didn't have a college educated mother, okay? I had seven other siblings. When I came along, again, she was in her early 50s. My dad was, was older as well. Well, guess what? Everybody else was grown and married and kind of off doing their own thing. You know what I mean? Nobody else was in the house. It was just me. And my mother, again, my father died when I was seven. And it was just her and I. And there were periods of time my mother had to quit working to put the tension to William Weeks because she refused to allow me to be pushed along and not get educated. And she wasn't going for that. She used to tell me when I used to come home crying, Sean, you know what she'd tell me? I would come home crying, and my mother sometimes would pick me up after we had another meeting down at the school. And you're talking about a woman with the strength of a thousand men. I'm, I'm telling you, it just the, the, what she has seen in her lifetime was just evident because nothing shook her. And I remember I would just be all the pieces. You know, I, I was such an emotional wreck until it was just, I, I was emotionally torn. I was broken, Sean. And here was a woman, you know what she would tell me? My mother would come in the house and to all of your listeners, if they had this older mother, older grandmother, you know, they would come in just humming, you know, mm, mm, you know, just humming because that was what's in their heart. And that was how they brought themselves peace. You know, my mom would come in the house and I'll be sitting over there on the sofa, bawling my eyes out, Sean. And my mother would come over there to me and she would pick my little face up like that. And she said, son, it's time to go to work. And she would look at me, Sean, and she would say, little boy weeks. That's what she used to call me. 
She didn't say will you. She would, but when she was really serious and when she really had something that was just on her heart, Sean, she would say, little boy weeks, little boy weeks. And you know what she told me? Keep every dream that you have close to your heart. And she would just look at me. She said, little boy weeks, it's time to go to work. That is how we started our session, Sean. And I'm telling you, in my entire school, uh, if you want to say career, I haven't had the greatest memories in school. But there were times where I really excelled because of the strength that this woman had and what she instilled in me. Um, I ran track. I broke state records in track and field, standing broad jump, the 100. I learned how to count my steps. I learned how to jump hurdles by pacing and learning to count my steps in between each hurdle. When I didn't know how to introduce myself to people, because at some point all people saw in me was, that's the little blind kid. And I didn't know how to break that mold, Sean. I, I, I didn't know what to do so that people could see. There was more about William Weeks than just, I can't see. I've got talent. I've got skills. I've got abilities. I'm friendly. I can be, I'm intelligent. I can talk. I just can't see. Music then became my introduction to the world. That was my introduction to everyone. Because when I didn't know how to come up and say, hello, my name is William, I allowed music to be my introduction because that was an immediate connection. Because then people, the kids, everybody would look around and say, oh man, he can sing. Man, he can play. You know, I played several different instruments. I sang. And so I started using my, my musical abilities to introduce who I was. And that was the catalyst that I used to say, this is William Weeks. They, they were interested in the music, but to, to learn more about this music and, and how I was able to do what I was able to do, you had to get to know the person. And to get to know the person, it's got to start right here. I'm William Weeks. How are you? And that is how I, I, I began to really... Um, carve out a specific mold for myself. And it was still yet hard, you know, because uh, again, I mean, I, I um, you know, I, I was, I was also under this, this um, sentencing, that's the word. It was a sentencing that I felt that had been placed on my life that said, because you can't see because this is your disability. These are the limitations that are automatically placed on you because, I mean, hey, you if you can't see, how are you going to be able to do this? How are you going to be able to do that? Which is what made me work so hard to accomplish the things that I did in school. I wanted to prove to people that this disability was not going to define William Weeks. Yeah, that's amazing. It's crazy how, uh, how the, the music played a huge, yeah, music breaks down barriers, man. 
Uh, it really does. It does. It, you know what I mean? Cause it's a, it's a universal language. Everybody understands it. Everybody is touched by it. Everybody has experiences with it. Everybody like even, even with, with me, when it came to, uh, like I couldn't listen to music for at least a good two years after I got off of drugs because they were to be triggers for me because, you know, listening to some songs would bring back such strong memories of, and they weren't bad memories of using, which would make me want to re reignite that fire. And so I had to just, just leave it alone, but it's, it's crazy how, how music is such a, uh, how it works. And it definitely yeah, so sounds too. like you, your mother was an amazing woman and, uh, you know, it must've been very difficult for you, uh, you know, when she passed away. I have a mom that's the same way, man. She's, uh, never, never given up on me. Always has always been there through everything. And, uh, you know, has always been my biggest, uh, champion. Right. You know, even in right. school, you know, they, they did some dirty, dirty shit to me when I was in school too. Um, you know, cause I was just a bad kid and, uh, you know, so yeah, dude, that, that's, that's cool, man. Your story is, uh, definitely inspiring. So what is, what, where do you go from, like, what do you do now? Um, are you an advocate well, of sorts? Are you involved in music? Uh, I, I looked a little well, bit at, at, at your, uh, your website, um, briefly, but I really wanted you to, to be the one to explain it to me. Sure. Um, well, there's quite a few things. Um, so, of course, my educational background is that went to colleges in uh, special education administration. Interestingly enough, um, I, I made it my business. I felt in my heart that I wanted to be in a position to be able to help others who had very similar difficulties and challenges um, in school, those with special needs, those who had disabilities, and those who needed a voice to advocate for them. And so here's what's interesting, Sean. I work with uh, the same sorts of students and children now in the same school that I came through. (laughs) I went back to the same place. It's just amazing, you know? And I'm there because I believe something. I believe people who can make the greatest change oftentimes don't stick around to do so. When we're in adversity and challenges, the first thing we want to do is tuck our tail and run. We want to go elsewhere. But sometimes what we need to do is arm yourself with the necessary tools and weaponry to be able to fight again. But this time, you, again, you're you're prepared. You can come back and with education and with training and really be able to make a difference in the lives of other people who, um, you know, again, who may have had some similar challenges or don't have to be similar, but who have had some difficulties. You could be their voice. You could be that advocate to really help them. So that's one thing that I'm doing. Um, also, Sean, I, I, I do a lot of speaking. Uh, I've worked in a couple different states and in, in lots of different projects. So, uh, what really kind of got me doing the speaking and really telling my story and talking about things is in 2005, I was deployed to um, Biloxi, Mississippi. And this was during the aftermath of, uh, of Hurricane Katrina. In the aftermath of uh, Hurricane Katrina, um, 
I was working a project with the Social Security Administration and Department of Labor where there was a specific grant that was out during that time. And part of that grant was to really work with displaced individuals uh, with disabilities who really had suffered from, you know, the aftermath of Hurricane Katrina down in, in New Orleans and in the, and in the uh, Biloxi, Mississippi, Mississippi area. And I was down there sleeping in tents and on the ground for weeks. <laughs> and it was there, Sean, in 2005. Now, believe it or not, I graduated out of high school in 98. But it, it wasn't until 2005 when I was in uh, uh, Biloxi, Mississippi, that I began to really understand not just a passion, but really understand a calling and a purpose. And so um, I started talking to people who were uninspired, who really didn't have any hope, um, and, and, and people who were just struggling. I mean, you know, it was, it was a, an awful natural disaster that happened there, you know, and uh, it, was, it, was, it was just disastrous. So I started talking with them about different things that I had experienced. And my goal was to really inspire some hope in the lives of those individuals that were there. And I would just start sharing things with them. And unbeknown to me, I, I didn't really realize just how impactful the things that I was sharing was to so many people there. And I realized from that point, Sean, that that's really what I need to be doing. And, and I don't know why it didn't really hit me until that point, really, but it did. And I, I started realizing this is what I need to be doing, that all the things I've gone through my entire life, it was not for me to keep hidden up under a lampshade. It wasn't for me to, to tuck it away and just say, I survived, I made it, and just move on. It was for me to share and to empower other people um, through my life story. And that's what I started doing. And so when you look at my website, which is aboutweeks.com, when you look on there, you start seeing the different things that I've been doing as far as speaking with different groups at different um, and, and at different uh, events and things in different parts of the country where not only am I sharing my story, but there are other seminars that I have created around just the theme of hardship. And I start dealing with that head on. So for instance, I have one called reshape, realign, refocus, the champion's mentality. And I start dealing with things such as how do you bounce back from calamity? So that's a million-dollar question. See, a lot of people can talk about things they've gone through. A lot of people can talk about where they are. How do we get you? How do we help you transition out of where you are and to transcend into where you need to be? How do we help you bounce back from these things that have happened to you? Because it's not the end of the world because you've had some calamity in your life. Let me teach you some principles. These are some principles of what it takes to be able to bounce back. And I started dealing with some things from the ground roots level, you know, and it didn't matter whether you were just coming out of prison, okay? Because again, oppression is oppression. It doesn't matter in what area of your life it hits. Oppression is oppression. It didn't matter whether you were just coming out of prison. It didn't matter whether you were someone who came from an abusive relationship. It doesn't matter whether you were someone who had, had to overcome some some incredible odds in your life. Wherever you are, the principles that I introduced, it helped. To, it will find you where you are. It helped guide you to where you needed to be. Okay. 
And, and so I, again, I started dealing with things like that. And that's currently what I'm doing now. And this is, again, I, I see it as more than just a passion, Sean, because I, I think sometimes we, we use passion and purpose interchangeably when it isn't. A passion is something I love to do. A purpose is what I've been called to do. Okay. Can they be used together in the same sentence? Absolutely. But I'll give you an example. There are a whole lot of people who love playing baseball. There's a whole lot of people who love playing basketball, but I promise you the NBA is not looking for you. <laughs> I mean, you know what I mean? I mean, they, see, I, I, again, I'm a realist because that's how I like to deal with things. There are people 40, 45 years old, and it's nothing wrong with having a passion to do it. But at some point, you got to ask yourself, is this my calling? Or is this something I just love doing? Okay. Yeah. And so I deal with those things too. The difference between a passion and a purpose. What I can honestly say that I just turned 40 in December. And so, as I tell people, I just turned 40 years young, as I say. And here's the thing I've been blessed, Sean, that at 40, I, I really found what my purpose is. Because a lot of people go half their lifetime, they, they, they go a whole lifetime trying to find out what, where they should be, what they should be doing, what their purpose is. <laughs> and, you know, they've retired from something, still trying to find out why they were placed here on earth. So, um, so the, the, again, those are some of the things that I'm doing. Um, musically, yes, I've had a, 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 an opportunity to do some wonderful things musically, Sean. Uh, I have had an opportunity. I, I performed on world famous Apollo Theater um, years ago before, you know, they don't have them now. But uh, are you familiar with BET Soundstage? Uh, no. Okay. I, I'm well, familiar with BET, but I don't, I don't, I've never. Right. Well, Soundstage was a place that had uh, different places where you were actually able to perform and, you know, you had a lot of the larger stars and stuff that were there. Uh, I was able to perform there in Washington, D.C. And, and I'll tell you this quickly, and I know you're probably thinking, gosh, there's a lot of moving parts to this story. But when I graduated from high school, I didn't go directly to college. That didn't come until some years until some years later, Sean. When I graduated from high school, I was picked up by a talent scout out of D.C. from Kemet Productions. And Kemet Productions was the group was the group that initially picked up this uh, R&B group called Drew Hill. Oh, I, remember, I remember hearing that. I know, I know that name. Yeah, which was originally out of Baltimore, Maryland. Okay. I had went to DC uh, and put, did some performances while I was in high school. Um, I did a lot of performing when I was in high school. And so there was a talent scout that came to my graduation in 98 and listened to me perform again and had talked to me and had talked to my mom and, and really wanted to, you know, see where a music career would really go with me and want to be my manager and really try to push, um, you know, my sound and, 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 you know, what it was that I was doing. And I had a full ride shown to Shenandoah university music school as a voice major full ride scholarship. I turned that down because I believed at that time, again, this is from the mind of an eight, 17, 18 year old. Um, I, I believe that, Hey, I can get on out here and, and, and really just show the world what, what what's inside of me musically. And, and so it was one of those things. It was like, this is a chance of a lifetime. You know, it's kind of what I felt. And 
So that's, I took the opportunity to do that. And uh, I did that for a couple of years. And, uh, you know, I learned a lot about the business. I learned the, the good and I learned a whole lot of the bad. And, uh, you know, I learned that basically, you know, you don't belong to you and everything. I thought that I would just be able to do what I, you know, the things that I felt in my heart. I wanted my music to sound a certain way. I wanted to be able to, uh, um, to create music that sounded a certain way that had a certain impact. I had to realize very quickly, it doesn't work that way, you know? And so after a couple of years, when that initial contract was over, instead of me resigning, I, you know, I, I didn't do that because I was really unhappy and it's just, it wasn't what I thought it was going to be. You know, I, I really didn't belong to me anymore. I belonged to that managed group. And I, you know, I, I, I felt like I was just a pawn just being used, pushed here and there, but I had no say in where I was being pushed to. So um, I, I came back home, regrouped, got my head on straight and said, you know, this music isn't over, but I need to be a little more wiser in my decisions. And, you know, again, it's when I decided to go back to school and what have you. And I, and I never gave up on the music. I said, you know, this isn't going to stop me from doing music, but I just, I just need to have some, you know, some additional supports and something to fall back on, not just do this. And, and, you know, so that's what I did. Um, I am, I'm deeply rooted in ministry. Again, I grew up in church, Sean, um, and I, I am a minister of music at this ministry where I am now and where I, I you know, work, I, I direct, I play music, and I do a little bit of everything musically. And so I'm still very, very involved musically with what I'm doing. I just, I love the fact that I have more control over me and what I'm looking to do musically. And, and so, uh, I, I'm kind of happy where I am with that. I'm always looking for some other opportunities to branch out and go other places and do some things. Um, but I just want the opportunity to do some things on my own terms without, without having to feel that I'm locked into something. Not that you have a problem with contracts, but you know, there's got to be some autonomy left to you as the person who's the creator. Does that make sense? <laughs> yeah. And the, the model of that is starting to change yeah. with, with YouTube, uh, out there and, and anybody, anybody being able to monetize their own channels and their exactly. own, yeah, you know, recording their own stuff, producing their own, uh, uh, content, uh, music, you know, books, books exactly. are, books are a big one, man. Publishing now. I mean, you can publish, if you can write it, you can get it published. Exactly. Um, amazingly, you said that I am working on a book now, reflections from within the William Weeks story, uh, reflections from within, um, my desire is that this year I can uh, have this full manuscript done. And um, I'd really love to start looking at some, and I have been looking at some publishing companies, um, you know, but I'd really like to start looking at getting this published because I, it's going to be impactful. And what we talked about today is a very small portion of the William Williams story there's some other things in there that will just blow your mind. And it's time that I release this to the world and let people hear where I have come from. But more importantly, people need to see that regardless of what happens to you, 
you can still continue to stand. I'm still standing. And let me tell you something. I've got every reason in the book to have have a have an excuse to lay down. I have every reason in the book to have an excuse to allow the disability of now not being able to see like everyone else to, to slow me down or to ground me. When in reality, what it's done is just fueled me to continue doing what I'm doing. And then lastly, I started a podcast myself. Uh, and the name of my podcast is called Moving Beyond Life's Giants. Amply named, again, when you really think about the different things I've just been talking about, moving beyond life's giants. I started that because the thing about life is, regardless of your socioeconomic status, you know, regardless of, of, of what career path you decided to take for your life, regardless of you know, what last name you might feel your, your legacy, your family's legacy holds in a specific area, a specific community. Doesn't matter, Sean. Every last one of us, from myself to you and everybody else who's listening and beyond, have giants that they're dealing with. We all have giants. And I created this platform so that I could begin to talk with other people again, who've had, you know, uh, uh, giants, not only that they have had to deal with, but that you're currently dealing with, you know. Let's come to the table and talk about some things. I'm a firm believer that, you know, just as, as humanity, we don't share enough. And I wrote a blog in November of 2019 called Isolation Paradise. Isolation Paradise, which talks about the importance of sharing one's story, sharing where you are and, 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 and being able to create a place of refuge for others so that you can empower and strengthen each other. One of the examples that I use and I talk about is, I don't know if you've ever seen this, but you know, if you, if, if you've ever seen an animal get hit by a vehicle, especially a dog, What's one of the first things that, that that the animal does? The first thing that that dog does it is it retreats. It tries to find some place off from the public, okay, hidden view, if you will, with the thought process from the, from the dog's point of view. I can get in this place to myself, and and maybe I can heal. I can lick my wounds and try to make myself feel better. Okay, really. We as humans, sometimes we function the same way. When we're going through struggles, when we're going through hardships and different things that we've dealt, had to have to deal with or dealing with, that's what we do. We want to get to ourselves. We, we don't want to, to, a lot of times we don't want to talk to anyone. We don't want to share anything with anyone. And what we don't realize, Sean, is that sometimes that's the worst place to be because off to yourself, you're off with your unhealthy thoughts. And trust me, you can't see the world with any clarity when what you're looking at is unhealthy. And so um, one of the biggest deceptions that we all fall prey to, including myself, is that when we're at our lowest point, the first thing we think, Sean, is that A, no one understands where I'm at. B, no one understands how it feels to be where I'm at. And C, I'm in a place that no one's ever been. Okay. 
And so when you combine those three things, guess what Guess what happens, Sean? You don't share or, or talk to anybody about what you're dealing with because there's a thought process that nobody's going to understand when that is so not true. So this links back to the moving beyond life's giants. I want to create this place to show people, no, there are other people who are going through things just like you. There are other people who are struggling. Not, And I don't want to just deal with people who can say, hey, I don't deal with that addiction any longer. I don't deal with that particular struggle any longer. I like to deal with those people that are the here and now. They're still going through things because that's real. There's some things we as humans that we go through, you don't just talk about it and it goes away. Things we've been dealing with for a long time, Sean, and, and sometimes we need other people, need to hear from other people, other stories from other people that says, hey, I'm in that same boat. How can we empower and inspire, you know, each other? So that's kind of where that whole moving beyond life's John's platform came from as far as the podcast movement. And so, you know, and, and so that's kind of where I'm at at this point, um, just continuously building, continuously expanding. That's yeah, awesome that you've that. taken, uh, that you haven't, you know what I mean? You, you've taken what, has been dealt to you and, and I, and probably has as deeply rooted in, in your mother's, uh, tenacity and, and, you know, her, her, her fight for you, uh, in the beginning and, and, you know what I mean? How her instilling that, uh, that mentality into you. And then you took it further by just not allowing yourself to be limited by, a disability. I mean, is that what they, I mean, we don't even really call it a disability anymore because that's, that's a limiting in itself to say that you are disabled when, you know what I mean? We are, we are all, all abled in some way, even, even with a disability, it's all in yeah. your mind. You know what I mean? Is it's the, the limiting factor is your mind. Very true. You know, absolutely. In, in, in most, in most things, you know, and, and once you can move beyond, uh, that limiting thought process or the limiting beliefs that, that you instill in yourself or you allow society to put, you know, label you with, um, right. you know, you, you're, you're not going to be able to move past that. But, but when you do, man, you know, that's, uh, it's amazing to see what could be possible. Absolutely. And you're, and you're a living example of it, man. Uh, congratulations. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, your story is, uh, is great, man. It's uh definitely inspiration. And I'm, and I'm, I'm pretty sure we only, we didn't get to a lot of it. You know, it's uh there's, there's a lot there, man. It is. As I like to say, I always tell people there's a lot of meat on that bone. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, um, I, so. you know, I, I feel, I feel the same way as you, man. I, I, you know, this, this thing is, uh, that I'm doing or actually to sort of tie into to what you're saying with the, with the bigger, you, you know, the giants that you have in your life. Yeah. I mean, you know, I struggle with a lot of different stuff, but those were just because a lot of that went away, it created a lot of unhealthy behaviors and, 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 and stuff in, in the wake of, of that. You know what I mean? That whole deal. So, I mean, there's all kinds of other things that, that I deal with constantly that, you know, as a result of that, that I'm always trying to work on and, and, uh, and change and, and, you know, lessen the damage that it, that it causes, you know, me in my life today. 
exactly. whether it's procrastination, whether it's a, you know, a bad attitude or how I respond to things or anger or, you know, all, all of these things that, that come up when you stop, when, or when I stopped using, uh, you know, substances to, to, uh, get through, you know, they just, they mm-hmm. leak out in other areas. And it's not wow. much different for anybody else. I mean, we all are, mm-hmm. we're all wired the same way, you know, mm-hmm. aside from mm-hmm. a, a few different, you know, DNA differences, strand selections, you know, somebody may have an autoimmune issue, somebody this, but I mean, the basic function of a human being as a species is, is pretty much the same. How right. we act, how we, uh, perceive things, how we, you know, uh, feel pain emotions i mean we all we're all wired with the with the same stuff so exactly that is so true definitely yeah, but yeah. unfortunately you know we're we get uh we buy into what makes us different instead of how similar we actually are exactly yeah so true so true and that, that that's agree. yeah i mean and that's why i love i love doing this podcast man and 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 hooking up with all these different people that i talk to um on a regular you know not a regular basis but i mean i'm constantly talking to people it, it's really gotten me to that level of there are no differences because I mean, if you take my background, when I was in prison, I was in a segregated situation. You know what I mean? We, we, if you're a white, if you ran with the whites, you stayed with the whites. You didn't, you know, consort with the blacks. You didn't, you know what I mean? It was, you don't eat after a black person. You don't do this. There was all these damn rules. And, and, uh, I, I, I wasn't like that, but I mean, I had to be that way because if you didn't, there's consequences. Exactly. It was a different set of norms in the situation you were in. Yeah. And so now it's like, I don't, I don't even think about those types of things anymore. You know what I mean? It's, I, I don't, I don't look at people like that. I look at people as, you know, individuals, your story is not your, your story is just a, a, a part of what you've gone through. You know what I mean? To Mm -hmm. kind of, I guess you would say to, to shape who you are. It's not, it's a shaping thing. It's not a, uh, you know, just be your story. Doesn't have to be your conclusion. True. You know, absolutely. It's just a, just a small piece of the, of the puzzle and, and, and the, the journey to where you're, where you need to be. And if you're lucky enough, and if you're lucky enough, you, are able to reflect and self-reflect and be mm-hmm. in and, and navigate through your own, uh, your own bad behavior or, uh, you know, things that you're doing that are not uh, productive for you or don't serve you, uh, in mm-hmm. your life, you know, and mm-hmm. if you can do that, not that you have a better opportunity than anybody else, but I mean, you you put yourself in a in a better position to be able to yeah. understand your understand yourself, and in understanding yourself, it's helping you to understand others. True, very true. Yeah, you know, so exactly, exactly. We wow. are at an hour and fifteen. Um, 
So why don't you go ahead and plug all your social media and where people can find you uh, if, if that's what you want to do? Sure. Um, so, so firstly, what I will share is that uh, you can definitely contact me on my website, which is www.aboutweeks.com, www.aboutweeks, A-B-O-U-T-W-E-E-K-S.com. Uh, there you can either contact me through uh, one of my contact forms. Um, you can also definitely email me directly uh, if you choose. I'd love to hear from you, which would be will at aboutweeks.com. Once again, will, W-I-L-L, at aboutweeks.com. Um, on social media, if you are on Facebook, great, then you could certainly find me at fb.me, M-E, forward slash aboutweeks. Once again, fb.me, forward slash aboutweeks. And those are definitely the primary uh, ways to reach me. Again, um, my contact information is also on either one of those uh, sites as far as a number you can reach me as well, uh, as, as well as the email that I just gave you. And I'd love to hear from any of you if any of you are, um, are certainly interested in having someone like myself to come and uh, to even do anything virtually because, you know, we know the whole world pretty much is on lockdown now with all the different things that's going on with the COVID-19. Um, I'm doing a lot of work virtually as well. So I'm definitely open to that. Um, definitely open to coming up with some creative ideas with you. If this is something you're interested in hearing seminars, um, you know, even um, speaking with folks remotely, I, I have the platform to do that and certainly would love to do it if this is something that would be of interest to you. And Sean, thank you for the opportunity, sir, for having me on your show and just telling a little bit of my story. Is, I, I really, really appreciate that. Not a problem, man. I, you you actually got me. I mean, I, I'm, I'm chatty. You know what I mean? It's sometimes what I've yeah. noticed in my past episodes is that, dude, get out of the way. You yeah. sometimes you, you get you mean well, like for myself, I mean well, but I get in the way sometimes. So I was, I was, I this one I actually got out of the way because I felt like it was an important story for you to be able to tell, and I, I enjoyed it too. I mean, I, you had me, you had me, uh, you had me listening, listening pretty good. So, uh, one thing that I, I do would like you to do though, um, Anything that you're going to want to appear in the show notes, I always find that it's, it's easier to have the, the guest send those to me in an email, however it is that you want it to appear. So I don't mess okay. it up. And okay. then, uh, if, if you would be willing, uh, to share those, uh, pictures and I can I throw will. those up, you know, so people can see in the show notes, uh, you know, a little bit of uh, like what you went through, you know what I mean? In, in the sure. pictures. Sure. That'd be awesome, man. Yep. Yep. I will definitely, I'm thinking of one, two pictures right now that's very vivid and, and uh, certainly would, uh, you know, kind of capture the, uh, the visual attention of folks. So I will definitely do that. Cool. And if there's anything that you want to collaborate on, you know, you got a show, if you want me to come on your show, I mean, it, I'm, 
I'd love for you to. As a matter of fact, I was going to talk to you about that. <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm pretty much an open book, man. Uh, I, I'm mm-hmm. not I'm not I'm not shy about what I've been through and uh, anything that I've done. Uh, I find that mm-hmm. it's easier for me to not hide not hide who I am and my problems. Uh, mm-hmm. If I put it out there, it's hard to mm-hmm. hide from yourself. You know what I mean? It, it is. When, yeah. when, when you, and especially when you put that out there and people know, and, and they've listened to your, your show, you can't hide from that. Yeah. You know, all my, right. you all, you know, all my dirty stuff. So I can't, there's nothing that I can pull on you. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Oh yeah, man. We, we, we can definitely talk and, um, you know, once off air, I'd, I'd love to set up a time where we could connect and, um, could you do some stuff down on my end here in Virginia? And I think that'd be fantastic. Collaborate yeah. on some stuff. I'm, I'm looking forward to it actually. Cool, man. I appreciate it. So, uh, yeah. we're going to go ahead and sign off of this and then I'll, uh, I'll just stay on and we'll, uh, we'll chat for a second afterwards. All right. Okay. Cool. I appreciate I appreciate your time and uh, your honesty and uh, everything about your story, man. And uh, hopefully, it, it, you coming on here and, and uh, telling your truth will uh, will touch somebody and 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 uh, help somebody out there. Absolutely. All right, Will, that's man. The, I, I thank you. Thank you, Sean. And we'll talk soon. You bet. Take care. Thank you for listening to the show, and thanks to Will for being a guest. Man, that was a great story, Will. Your fortitude and your fight and your ability to keep pushing forward through adversity is definitely an inspiration. Just a couple reminders here. Subscribe, rate, review. Uh, If you want to support the show, tell a friend, tell a family member. Uh, If you think they can benefit from hearing this show or any episodes in this show link trees at the bottom of the uh show notes if you want to find me uh everywhere to find will will be in the show notes as well yeah so as always keep it 100 stay true to yourself everything else is just noise